Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Each year in September, Pastor Nicole takes several weeks to review the mission and vision of Erie First and set the course for where she believes God is taking our church and our community. This year's vision series is called Build Your Church, and we'll be taking a deep dive into the core values that guide Erie First and uncover how all of us play a key role in building the body of Christ. So let's get started today. Here's Pastor Nicole. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarf goals. I no longer need position, promotion, and popularity. I don't have to be right, first, praised, or rewarded. I now live by faith, walk by patience. Am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set, my goal heaven. My road is narrow, my way rough. My companions are few, my guide reliable. My mission clear. My mission clear. My mission is clear. My mission clear. I cannot be bought. Compromised, detoured, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up. I am a disciple of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop. Tell, till all know the work till he stops me. Until he comes, my mission is clear. Love God and his people. Build Jesus-centered lives. And send out spirit-led disciples. Lord, build your church. Lord, build your church. Lord, build your church. Well, good morning. What a great day to be together and to be worshiping together. Uh, today we're starting a new series called Build Your Church, and we're going to look at what Jesus designed for the church according to the Bible. Um, next Sunday, for the very first time in history, we are having Eerie First Homecoming Sunday. All right, some of you are like, what is that? I'm going to tell you. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Our prayer is that everyone who calls Erie First their church home will attend on the same Sunday. It's going to be a miracle, okay? And we're going to be together, and we're going to worship together. And we are anticipating welcoming back those who have maybe gotten the, out of the rhythm of church for one reason or another. There's, uh, there's no shame in that. That happens, but it's time to come home, right? It's time to get back in the rhythm of getting into the presence of God. Uh, whether that's because of a busy schedule or maybe um, past COVID restrictions got us kind of out of our rhythm, right? And so uh, additionally, uh, we sent invitations, they look like this, in the mail to close to 3,000 homes right around our area right here. 
And we said, hey, listen, when you're here, you're home. So come on, like, come on out, all right? And we're really, really excited. We're gonna honor the history of our church. Uh, We're gonna have some really special music we've been working on. I'm gonna preach from God's word. And then after service, we will have snacks and activities in the lobby uh, and right outside the main doors. It's gonna be history making, okay? I really, really believe that. It's gonna be a great time um, to be together. And so I need your help though, okay? Are you ready? I, I, I am asking all of your help. Here, here's your part. This week, will you reach out to someone who you haven't seen around here in a while? Okay, will you think about who it is that you haven't seen around here in a while, and will you reach out to them? Or maybe someone in your life who really needs a touch from God. Anyone know someone who needs a touch from God in their life? All right, ask them. Or maybe someone who is a Christ follower but doesn't attend church. And say, hey, look, you know what? I go to this place and I really like it. (laughs) And the spirit of God is there. And I want you to come with me. And will you invite them? You can even tell them you'll save them a seat. And let's fill this room up. Let's come home to the house of the Lord. All right, clap if you're willing to join that assignment. I'm excited. And so today, uh, for this series, we're gonna learn primarily out of one specific passage in Matthew, and I wanna read it um, together. So it goes like this, Matthew 16, 13 through 19. And it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And he was actually directing this question to Simon Peter. And Simon Peter answers, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, it's like we got sort of an inside look or a a moment of this this intimate moment between Simon Peter, I'm going to call him Peter for short, uh, and Jesus. It, It got written down. And Jesus is asking the disciples this general question, almost like there's a crowd, and then he turns straight to Simon Peter and he says, what about you? What do you think? Have you ever been in a classroom and the teacher is asking a question and you're daydreaming a little bit, and then the teacher says, Bill, what do you think? And then all of a sudden you have to go, uh, 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 seven, you know, like whatever question is in your head and really like it was a question about the color or something and you say it totally different. And so Jesus calls Peter out and says, what do you think? And Peter, theologians call this the blessed confession. It's this crucial crucial expression of faith, declaring who Jesus really is. The truth is that Jesus wasn't just a good man. Jesus wasn't just a good friend. Jesus wasn't just a wise prophet or a historical figure. Jesus is the son of the living God. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one we've all been waiting for. He is the one that we all need. In order to be truly saved, in order to enter into eternity with Christ, 
that same blessed confession is what is required. The same thing that Peter said is what is required of you and of me. That every individual, every man or woman must believe from the heart personally that Jesus is in fact God's son. He is in fact the living God. He is in fact the savior of the world. And so let's, let's just start with the best question of all. Have you personally made this step? Have you personally made this step of a blessed confession? If Jesus stopped and looked at you in the eyes and said to you, who do you say I am? Could you with boldness and confidence and assurance, like Peter did say, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I believe that a hundred percent. It is on this blessed confession. It is on our declaration of Christ's certain deity that the church is built. I want to show you in Matthew 16, 18, the verse that I read. It says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So, so the question we have to ask in this particular verse is what is the rock that Jesus is talking about? What is the rock that Jesus promises to build his church upon? Is Jesus saying that Peter himself, the man Peter, is the rock, the disciple, that he's the one that the church is built on? Well, that would seem a little difficult to sustain considering Peter himself was mortal and would die someday. And so for Jesus to say, um, I'm going to build my church upon you, uh, that you, Peter, are the one I'm going to build my church on, does that mean the church only lasted the lifetime of Peter? Or did it mean uh, that, that Jesus, if he was saying that, that Peter was the one he built the church on, why wouldn't he say, upon you, Peter, I will build my church? He, he didn't say that. He said, and I tell you that you're Peter. <laughs> like, that's all you are, Peter. You're just Peter. <laughs> I love you. I love you for being Peter, but you're Peter. You're the man, but on this rock, I will build my church. What is it? What is this rock? Well, it's interesting, a word study of this passage uh, brings a lot of clarity. Uh, earlier in the passage, Jesus calls Peter Petros, which in Greek means a single rock or a stone. You can go on to the next uh, image here. So that word Petros means a single rock or a stone. And so Christ changed Simon Peter's name to Peter in order to, to reference him as someone who is solid. He's a rock. He's a stone. But when he references the foundation of the church in verse 18, when he says, and on this rock, I will build my church, he actually uses this word, Petra. And Petra means shelf or ledge of a rock. So in Greek, a Petros would be in the family of the word Petra, but a small rock in a big ledge. Okay, a small rock in a big ledge. So with this word study, it seems more likely that what is meant by the rock on which the church would be built is the confession that was just spoken the verse previous. That this moment of belief, this tangible experience of faith, when Peter confesses and Peter declares who Jesus is, that is the rock at which the church will be built. As long as people are confessing in faith that Jesus is the living God, the church cannot be overcome. 
And that's what he's saying in the scripture. And so I made this kind of, uh, you know, little sentence that will help us remember what we're talking about here is that the church will be built on the rock solid confession modeled by Peter the rock about the person of Jesus Christ who is the cornerstone rock of the church forever. That's what the church will be built on, on the basis of that. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 speaks to this image as well. When you can cross-reference scripture, you know that you're on the right track, okay? That's how you know. You're not just making something up when you realize it. You go to all these other places in scripture. You make sure that things corroborate. So let me show you this one. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the church. And this is what the church is built on. So I want want you to hear a testimony today uh, from my friend Philip. He's going to come up of the church at work in this community. So can you thank him for coming? Thank you. Uh, I'm Philip Schweitzer, and I this is how I kind of like live out the church. So I'm a senior at McDowell High School, and I was called to bring, to teach life to the football team, bring them to Christ. And so I talked to my coach, and he said, yeah, I'm on board. So I started leading a team prayer uh, about a month and a half ago. We did some during practices, and then we did one every Friday before the game. So not... Friday, three days ago, two days ago, but the Friday before that, I'm out on the field, I'm praying with about 15 other guys, and I'm led by the Holy Spirit to pray for a miracle. Something that it can only be God, supernatural, can't be proved by science, and can't be a coincidence. So later in that game, I go down with an injury. I, so yeah. My knee buckles and I fall right to the ground. So here I, it buckled and I go down and now I'm on the ground. It's a nine out of 10 pain in the bottom right of my knee right here. I'm on the ground, I'm screaming, I'm, all these thoughts are racing through my head. Is, is my mom okay? She's worried about her baby boy. <laughs> did, did I make the block? Did, did we gain yards on the play? Am I going to be done for this season? I'm definitely done for this season with this pain. Is the sub ready to go in? But through all of this, I am still somehow praying, Jesus, come heal me. So I'm on the ground. I'm at pain, injury, screaming. Uh, the trainer comes out onto the field, and she goes, Philip, like, tell me what's wrong. And I go, my knee, my knee. And so I bend my knee all the way in, and I extend it all the way out. And she goes around, and she goes, does this hurt? Does this hurt? Does this hurt? And it's all no. I end up getting up and walking myself off the field. So I walk off the field and I get back in and we play and we actually went in overtime. Uh, so now some of you guys are probably wondering what's up with my hand, what's up with my wrist. <laughs> yeah, uh, this was this Friday. I broke two of my fingers and I see that this is... The Lord kind of testing me, hey, I'm putting this in your way. What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to 
still preach your word and how you saved and you blessed me with your healing power in my knee. And I know that you have good plans for my hand and how you're going to make this and turn it for your good. This is the church. A spirit-filled testimony saying, God is our chief cornerstone. Here is the rock-solid confession that when I prayed for a miracle, I didn't know, but it was going to be my miracle. I was going to need that miracle, and God did it supernaturally. We're going to keep praying for your fingers, too, and, and your mama. All right. So we have adopted a mission statement that keeps us focused on this very scripture. We exist to love God and his people, build Jesus-centered lives, and send out spirit-led disciples. Now, come on, let's read this together. It's on my shirt. It's on some people's shirt here today. Let's read it really loud all together. Don't, don't uh, twizzle out on me at the send part. All right, ready? Love God and his people. Build Jesus-centered lives and send out spirit-led disciples. Now, we have five core values that help align our mission to God's word. All these values, they came straight from a study of the Bible, looking at how the church operated and how God designed it. And these values are anchored teaching, spirit-led worship and prayer, redemptive community, purposeful outreach, and radical generosity. And so we're going to go through these five values for the next five weeks. So you're going to know what is coming. We're going to preach about these things. And as, a, as we're going to go through them, we're going to remember why we exist and how uh, our church is built on a radical confession, on a rock-solid confession uh, that Peter modeled for us. Okay, so today, for the remainder of my time, I want to talk about anchored teaching. So, um, among all the books ever written, the Bible is absolutely unique, right? It actually is not just a book. It's 66 books. We just conveniently put it right here for you all together. And one of the most remarkable qualities of this book is its complete unity of the overall message, despite having so many different authors writing over so many hundreds of centuries of controversial subjects. You know what? We cannot naturally explain the scripture. It is supernatural in character. That this many people could write down this many things and they all co coincide together. They all corroborate do you know the Bible was written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors from three continents who wrote in different languages? Some of you have a hard time communicating with your spouse and the people that live in your family, right, in our household. household. And we have continents and, and, and languages and people and culture barriers, shepherds, kings, scholars, fishermen, prophets, a military general, a cupbearer, a priest, all penned portions of this scripture, and they composed from palaces and prisons in the wilderness and places of exile. But the Bible displays a flawless internal consistency and it contains the greatest story ever told and it contains a story that isn't over yet a story we're currently living in this isn't a book that isn't relevant there are things in here that are gonna happen and we can actually read them to know it and understand it's a story in which every single human being takes part in it's God's story of the creation 
and the redemption of mankind. Listen, this is the story of the blessed confession Peter spoke about that changed all of history. He's saying, Jesus is alive and well and living and he's my savior and you can read about it all right here. This is it. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see this flawless internal consistency. You know, Jesus and his followers, they were fearless when it came to proclaiming God's word. They knew without a shadow of a doubt the eternal power and the absolute trustworthiness of each word in the scripture, and they believed it was true. And I think an important question that you have to wrestle with when thinking about this anchored teaching value is this. Do you believe the Bible is true? Do you believe the Bible true? Do you believe the things, the events, the people, the instructions are true in the Bible? Do you believe it's all true or just part of it? The parts you don't like, you kind of try to ignore, <laughs> but the parts that you, that you agree with or you like, do you believe it's all true? Now, as I was thinking about this, let's just back up a little bit, maybe something you've never thought about before. How do you know anything is true? How do you decide what's true? This isn't a rhetorical question. Like, how do you decide what's true? I'm teaching my children right now, everything on the internet is not true. <laughs> I learned that the hard way, probably. But how do you know? How do you decide what's true? How do you measure truth by? You know, the proverbial stairs end somewhere. There has to be some things that trump all things. Even secular philosophers recognize this problem. And so what have you decided is your standard? Do you decide what's true based on your personal experiences? Well, that happened to me, so I believe it's true, or that never happened to me, so it can't be true. Do you go with public consensus? Do you rely on great moral literature? Is it based on how you feel? I live in a house with three girls. Joel deals with a lot of feelings all week long. <laughs> they change overnight. <laughs> is it on someone you trust? Maybe you go to a wise person and you say, what is true about this? How do you decide what's true? Well, when we say that our value as a church is anchored teaching, we're saying that this that this church believes this is true. That the Bible is true, all of it. That it's all true. That's the standard on which we will decide what is true. The Bible is our standard. And that's how we measure truth because we believe it is written by the author of truth itself. The person who made up what truth is. The God who created the entire concept of truth. The God who created all sources of the truth is the God who is the standard. And so what we say is, listen, this is what we believe to be true, and it's all true. And maybe you're wrestling, maybe you're here today, or you know someone who's maybe questioning uh, the Bible, can it be the standard of truth? Let me tell you, wrestling is not wrong. In fact, I think it's important, because wrestling uh, brings you to a conclusion. Wrestling brings you to a conclusion. But I want to let you know, if you're wrestling today, I just want to take a, a few minutes to give you maybe some uh, ways to defend why we believe that this is all true, okay? And it's for this reason, that uh, scholars have thousands 
of complete manuscripts and multiple thousands of fragmented manuscripts that have been archived and collected. In fact, uh, there are more than 5,000 copies of the entire New Testament that all corroborate the same message. Okay, original copies of, of the New Testament. Compared to other works of ancient history, the copies of the New Testament far outweigh manuscript evidence for other works. For instance, there are less than 700 copies of Homer's Iliad and only a handful of copies of one work of Aristotle. Yet we call them geniuses and say they're true, right? We think, we don't worry if, if we think that's true. But when it comes to manuscript evidence, the New Testament definitely has numbers on its side. We could also add the fact that much of the New Testament was written with just a, within just a few decades of the death and resurrection of Christ. And so since more than 500 people had seen the risen Christ, people would still have been alive at the time of the writing of the New Testament. So they could actually agree or criticize the claims of what was written. So there was accountability from eyewitnesses. You might think, I, I don't know if I believe the Bible's true because what if someone just wrote it down and that's not actually what happened? There were only, only over 500 people that saw the risen Christ. And so they could say, hey, that's in there, but that didn't happen. And so there were eyewitnesses that were able to corroborate what was actually written down in this book. As far as the Old Testament, Jesus himself read and taught from many of the Old Testament books, Jesus himself. So if something was wrong, he would have said, hey guys, this is wrong. <laughs> like, like I was here before the beginning of time. I know that what I'm reading and what I'm saying to you and what I'm teaching from he would have corrected anything that was false or set the record straight if it was being passed on in error. So there really is much, much more evidence. I just brought a few things this morning to prove that the Bible is consistent and, and, and a book that has withstood the test of history that, that we can actually point to if you're a science person or a fact person. Let me tell you, there are facts to prove that what was written in here was true and was tested. But ultimately, we trust the Bible, not because we can prove it from other sources, even though we can, but because we trust the one who made us and then gave us his word. That's why we trust the Bible. We trust the God who is the standard, the God who created the truth, the God who created us, the God that made a way for our redemption for all of humanity by the sacrifice of his one and only son. That's why we trust it because it comes from a loving, holy father who wants us to understand what it's like to live in his blessing. And so if you're having trouble trusting the word of God, I wanna encourage you to do the research, do the facts. I can help you with that. Our staff can help you with that. But I also want you to evaluate, do you have trouble trusting the Bible because you have trouble trusting the Lord? Because when you trust the person who wrote it, you understand and can believe it even more. You can, you can hold it in. You can, you can bring it into your world for it to change you. So if we believe the Bible is true, then what, what do we do with it? How do we interact with it? Well, the entire Bible is written to show us the image of God. It's a reflection of his character. I want to show you this final verse, Genesis 127. God says something life-changing for us. He says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so uh, there's so much more to that, but we are created to understand and bear the image of God. And so what does that mean? God is loving, and when we love, we reflect God to others. God's truthful, 
When we tell the truth, we reflect his truthfulness to others. God is forgiving. When we forgive others, uh, we reflect his grace and his mercy. The idea is that our lives would mirror the truth. And so once we understand and know who God is, he shows us who he is through this book, then we say, okay, how can our lives align with who God is? Because the idea is that we would use the, the true scripture in the Old and the New Testament, and we would ask ourselves questions like, what is God like? When I read this, what is the nature and the character of God? And then how can I reflect that nature? How can I bear that image? How can I look more like Jesus? This is a life change book. It, it's not a history book. I mean, it is a history book, but it's not just a history book. It, it's not something for us to just get a lot of knowledge of. It's supposed to get inside of us and make us more like Jesus. God's word transforms us and changes us. We understand the standard of truth and then we make adjustments to align our lives with that standard of truth. And the word of God inside of us builds the church. The word of God inside of us builds the church. And I'm gonna say this again, the church will be built on the rock solid confession modeled by Peter the rock about the person of Christ who is the cornerstone rock of the church forever. So would you stand? I wanna introduce you to this song. We're gonna be declaring this. We're gonna be praying this through our series. Uh, it actually says uh, the, the words, Lord, build your church. And so today, as we sing it to close, I want you to just think about how anchored teaching, how understanding that the Bible is true and that we need to use it to align our lives builds our church. And so sing, sing with us this morning. Okay.
blessed confession of just saying who you are, the living God, the Messiah, the Savior, Lord, that you will build your church that nothing will overcome. God, we're so grateful to be part of that church. And so, Father, this week, would you help us build your church by uh, ingesting the Word of God, by understanding the truth, by believing that you are who you say you are. So, God, today we just give you thanks. We thank you for who you are and that you met us here. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Eerie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eeriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.